When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spooky. Always and forever. Also known as Nighty Night. David's not here right now. He's celebrating Bella's birthday. Happy birthday, Bella. Mm-hmm. Even though this is totally out way after your birthday, but hey. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we are still a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over on patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's not what they will. By the on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. We are almost to the tail end Ugh. of our Stephen King month, and it's been a fucking blast. We had a ride. Uh, definitely a ride, especially last episode being Christine. So clap, clap to you. That was great, even though you weren't there for that episode. Yeah. But that was that still worked out great. Freddie somehow just knows how to psychologically plant his jokes everywhere. <laughs> I was love it, it. Driving you crazy? <laughs> oh, beep, beep. I'm back. But yes, this month has honestly, these m- months have honestly been insane. It's been great. We had Philip. Um, yes, Philip for oh, so good. Salem's Lot coming in with some great knowledge of him being from the town the that it was filmed it, yeah. in. So that was really, really cool. He yes. killed it, by the he way. He did. He did. He did Fucking a great job. Excellent. Did a great job. Um, but yes, it's absolutely fin- fantastic how this month has been going. But kicking things with the last tail end, the finale, if you will, with probably our most requested movie for us to cover. Of course. Probably our most requested it's a movie. a big one. It's a big one. And if for those of you who didn't read the episode name and you just clicked on us. <laughs> Don't overlook it. Don't overlook it. <laughs> I fell into that one. <laughs> but the movie that we are covering tonight is The Shining, which was technically covered on our sister podcast of Goodnight Movie Club as well. But first and foremost, Freddie, thoughts? Well, okay. Well, uh it's one of those movies that is considered one of the best of all horror movies. It's iconic. We have some great scenes. We have a lot of pop culture references. Indeed we and do. And rightfully so. I love this movie. Uh, I think it's really excellent. The more times I watch it, sometimes I feel like it does drag on in some parts because it is a very long movie. It's about That's two fair. and a half hours. 
But at the same time, the thing that really encapsulates, uh, captivates me is the filmmaking. Right. The way the camera moves, the sound mixing, and you just hear everything just perfectly when he's like going down the hallways and stuff like oh that, which we'll gosh. talk about. Yeah. Uh, the set design, the actual location itself. And of course, the great performance that we get from Jack Nicholson is probably one of his best performances t- to this date. I don't think he has anything that really topped it besides maybe, uh, I forget what the Clue cop the movie cocoon is. is. No, he's also great in that too. He is great but in The that. Departed. I, oh, sure. He really yeah. embodies that character as well. But Jack Torrance, it's a name that you'll recognize from anywhere. It's true. And Even if you've never seen The Shining, like yeah, you, you, you know The Shining. Right. You see his face with an axe or something like that, or you see his face through the door, right. you know where it's from. Right. This movie is like, even if you're not a horror fan, you know about this movie. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I don't know anybody who does not know this movie. Even Gen Z people who, right. like, they know about this movie. Like, everybody knows about The Shining. It is that prolific. Right. And... Honestly, it, it's historical. It's it's a it's an artifact for horror. Yes, we have the the whole red room. We have the whole here's Johnny room two three seven, which two, is three, referenced seven. fucking everywhere. The carpet referenced in fucking Toy Story, like it, it's everywhere. Know, it's everywhere. Like it's just you know everybody references this movie and in some shape or fashion or way. Um, and it's and obviously I'm putting a 10 on a two when I say everyone, but it, it's just that prolific of a film. And it's that it's that refer, uh, reputable. Yes. And I remember the first time I heard of the shining as a child, it was in the Simpsons Treehouse of horror. And it, it, it pretty much, it was the whole, the shinning is what they called it. Mm. And then Bart says, I was like, Oh, you mean the shining? He was like, Oh, shush boy. Do you want to get sued? <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's, that was my first introduction to it exactly and i really wanted to check it out i was like okay i really want to see this and it literally is just the last half of the shining it's like cut down if you really want to see the shining shortened down watch the treehouse of terror or treehouse of horror episode because it goes through it like super quick um but it's the whole movie (laughs) and i love that this is like one of the first movies for like us being introduced to what the shining really is yeah. And I feel like that really set the motion for me for like future Stephen King movies with like it chapter one, it chapter two, and that really understanding where their main connection comes from. Or obviously what we're gonna be talking about later on with Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Where it really dives deep into what it really means. Right. And I love that this is like Spoiler that we are going to be covering Doctor Sleep everybody. At some point. <laughs> no, you're fine. Damn it. You're fine. <laughs> um it could be from a year from now. Who knows? It, it, it obviously soon. it makes sense. The fact that it's the shining and then we're covering the sequel. <laughs> yes. Um but I, I do have to say, like, this when I first watched this movie, I did not know too much about like what the shining really was. I guess I wasn't really paying attention to it. I thought it was just more of a haunted house movie and that's it. And I think when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, this has to do with more like not as much paranormal stuff, but like psychological stuff with like powers in a way, like psychic abilities. Right. And I was like, oh my God, there's a whole different layer to this movie that I never even realized the first time watch. And that's the thing I love about this movie. Every time I watch it, I pick something new out of it. I brought the, uh, this was brought up in last episode with David 
And um, I forgot what episode we said this on, but we did mention something. I believe it was a question. Can the shining be inhabited inside of an object? And we saw Mm. that very much in Christine at first. And I think the same thing goes true with this. Oh, by the way, everybody, I fucking love this movie. Um, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, But when I see that whole concept of the shining being a place, being yeah. a, a a containment center for evil, I find that to just be completely fascinating. Now, the thing that I do think that this movie did in some ways that sort of puts a bad taste for Stephen King films, and this isn't necessarily my opinion, um, but, well, I guess it is my opinion, um, but is... Stanley Kubrick, I feel like his shoes were so big and for the, for this movie that it's really hard for any other Stephen King films to kind of match it in some yeah. ways. And that's not to say that they can't because it's very much oranges to apples when it comes to that. Um, it, it is it, it, this Stephen King movie shouldn't be compared to The Shining. Right. They just shouldn't. Um, and that shouldn't be the, the all be all. And I don't think anybody does. Well, at least in the horror community, I don't think anybody does. But I know there are movie buffs out there that probably do. Like, oh, shit, another Stephen King movie. It's not going to be as good as The Shining. So they kind of write right. it off. Um, but it's things like that that are a little bit of a topsy-turny situ- situation, which is possibly why Dr. Sleep didn't do so good in the theaters. And... I that's a sticky situation like we can go more into that in the post show because I I don't I don't know the true reason why Dr. Sleep had such of a failure inside theaters um, and right. a lot of it possibly is marketing um, even though they marketed the hell out of that movie but they marketed it as a shining sequel which it is right but they market it very much as like this movie is 100% tied to the shining and it doesn't play like that. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We can talk about that next week. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I think with The Shining, it's a very, like you were talking about, it's like it's a very hard thing to like compare to other like Stephen King movies too. With The Shining itself, I feel like there's no other movie like it at all. Yeah, no, I agree. From- it, it's, it's a, it uses such a unique style. Right. That we see is copied. We we this felt fresh, you know. Like, but it uses such a unique style with it. Even though I do find that this movie does have some continuity issues, um, has some plot points that don't really get filled in. Right. Um, so it it does have some pretty odd areas there. But the pacing's beautiful in this movie. I think this movie definitely knows what it's trying to say, what its message is and who its audience is. Like it, it understands who this movie is supposed to be presented to, I feel like. Um, so it, it's a very it's a very interesting movie in all in all, like the way it's shot. Um, but I don't know. Let's jump into this. Let's shit, do though. it. The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, released May 23rd, 1980, with a runtime of two hours and 26 minutes and a budget of $19 million, with a box office of $47 million, and a rating of 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not you know, I, yeah. I actually never knew the rating of The Shining. 84%? 84%. I'm surprised it's not higher. I I'm kind of as well. I'm surprised that it's not higher, and I'm also kind of surprised that it's not lower. 
<laughs> I feel like with a film this big and so iconic, I'd feel like it would be in the 90s. Well, remember, too, this movie wasn't received too well when it first came out. When it out first came 80s. out. Yeah. yeah. So, so those reviews were probably definitely bogging it down. Right. So th- this movie wasn't received that highly in those times. Um, it was kind of like a misunderstood type of film. And now it's a fucking cult classic. Yeah. And everybody, it's a, it's a golden standard hey, in some At ways. least it made its money, too. So that's good. That it did. Definitely more than doubled it. Yeah. We open to those incredible haunting horns as the camera flies overhead. Uh, the Torrance's VW bug driving down many roads. And that's sh- th- those horns, man. And you can recognize those sounds from anywhere, too. It's oh, like, fuck This yeah. is from The Shining. Fuck yeah. Oh, my God. Next week, I, I want to talk about those horns. Again. Yeah. The title flying in the ca- in with the cast, and I love the baby blue here. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I said this it's in our Get Out episode as well. It's just something so haunting about that sky baby blue inside of a horror film. I don't know what it is. It's just, it, it feels like it's unnatural. <laughs> like it yeah. shouldn't be here. And uh, the nice thing about The Shining, too, they use his colors really well. And I feel like this is a good introductory if, like, everything's calm and collected right now. But I'm going to give you this uneasy music to say this is not going to be a calm yes. and collected movie as well. Yes, so we get I those agree. beautiful shots of, like, the wilderness. We get the lake. We get some great aerial shots in general tracking the car going down. And it feels like it should be peaceful. It feels like like a vacation almost. Yeah. But the music is the contradictory of everything. And it's just, it sets the stage of everything, which is great. Like if you were to dub this whole scene with the uh, Homework Bound soundtrack, like then you're just like, okay. Completely different vibe. There we go. It's a completely different vibe here. We're going on an adventure with some dogs and a cat. Great movie. (laughs) Leaving us with the number two is the best one. Leaving us with the Haunting Overlook Hotel, then cut to the interview. Jack Torrance goes up to the clerk, letting her know that he has an appointment with Mr. Ullman. She points and tells him where his office is. He thanks her and heads over to him. This is just already right off the bat. You're just seeing how beautifully, masterfully shot all of this is. But I am definitely going to have to agree with Stephen King's uh, references here on not liking Jack Nicholson for the for this main particular role only because Jack Nicholson looked crazy from the fucking start. Like, let's be real. He all he already looked insane. Like he yeah. looks like kind of it's fucked up to say. But Jack, I'm not gonna even say Jack Nicholson. I'm gonna say Jack Torrance here, um, portrayed by Jack Nicholson, he looks like an abusive father. Like okay. he, yeah. he doesn't give me the vibes of someone who is calm, loving, trustworthy, trustworthy yeah. and then someone who snaps. He gives me the identity of you've always looked like you were sort of crazy and you just need that little extra thing to just tip you over the edge completely. Because he's not very personable. He's he just <laughs> he's not. <laughs> he's one of those characters like even straight off from the interview, he kind of like. He doesn't have a normal conversation. He just reacts what's been told to him. Right. It's very like on the moment, on the nose, and like, okay, you just told me it's like, nah, I'll be fine. You know, yeah. that's not me. Right. It's a weird way to have like a conversation with someone. Yeah. And it's very eerie, and I I feel like it works really well. But kind of like what you're saying, it it should set the character as someone who isn't that at first, and then we see the transition later on. Right. But yeah, I mean, I mean. 
Obviously, for what Stanley Kubrick is trying to go for, it works. Jack mm-hmm. knocks on Ullman's door, introducing himself. He ex- he excitedly allows Jack to come inside, shaking his hand, introducing him to this, his secretary, Susie. Ullman asks about his trip and if he had trouble finding the hotel. He answers that it took about three and a half hours. Ullman offers him a seat and some coffee. Jack agrees, Ullman asking Susie, then telling her to uh, have Bill Watson to come in, which Bill Watson didn't have much to say, so why the fuck no. is he here? <laughs> Fade to an apartment car. Complex. Jack's wife and son, Wendy and Danny, are sitting in the kitchen as he eats a sandwich and she reads. He asked her he asked her um, if she really if she really wants to live in a hotel for the winter. She tells him that she does, claiming that it will be fun. He guesses, but because he doesn't have any friends where they currently live anyway. She understands, letting him know that making new friends takes some time. She's like, yeah, it's going to take even more time that you're sending me this fucking excluded hotel for five months. <laughs> fuck she brings up his imaginary friend tony looking forward to the hotel he inches his index finger mocking a fake voice that he isn't wendy speaks to to his finger to not be silly i love the way he switches his voice for for tony yeah and they never really describe why he does that why why does the The voice voice? yeah yeah. (laughs) i think it's just his coping mechanism of having that be there for him i guess i think if it's a coping mechanism i just think that's his way of um showcasing his talent quote unquote and not knowing and understanding what it is right it's it's a separation of himself but also part of himself right exactly um which is why you know i'm I'm, i don't know no no future spoilers so i'm not i'm not even gonna say it um danny continuing tony's voice that he doesn't want to go um wendy still believing that they are going to have a real good time well (laughs) <laughs> back with jack uh did not mean that for, to rhyme bill coming into the room omen introducing him to jack omen has has bill take a seat sharing the news about jack taking care of the overlook during the winter he instructs bill to take him around the hotel then shares that jack is is a school teacher it's funny that he like instructs bill to take jack around the hotel when omen still takes him around the hotel and just right. jack follow, or bill <laughs> follows along and just like what there's what? a lot of character motivations where it's like why are you even in the scene right it's fine it's like, sure bill why are you here my dude fuck just no that was it, i think this is type of the type of problems that i have with the film and the fact that i've seen this movie so much i feel like now i'm in a point where i'm a little bit more critical towards the movie because you've seen it so many times exactly so like like, nitpicking all the stuff that's like okay there should be some more work on this too right i'm the same way um i feel like at the very beginning where we see a lot of the characters interact with like the family it feels off and doesn't feel as well connected as i thought it was going to be and once like everyone leaves and it's just them three it's just full speed ahead and i love it yeah it's fantastic but then there's some other character choices later on which we'll talk about it's like oh right yeah, that makes no sense too. But sure, right? Why not? We're also probably going to get into it as well when they're doing the tour, right? Um, but yeah, Jack corrects him that he's formerly a school teacher, um, and he's now a writer. Bill thinking about this po- being a possible change, but Jack is is up for a new change of scenery. Excuse me. Ullman shares that there there are people in Denver spoke very highly about him, and he agrees with them. He then goes over the overlooked seasons running from May 15th to October 30th. 
And for the winter, they closed down completely until they uh, until the following May. Jack asked, why do they close down? Ullman sharing the cost would be too expensive because of the snow and their distance. He continues that um, that this site was chosen for its scenery and seclusion, not a sporting location like for things for skiing and snowboarding. Jack jokingly agrees. Ullman asking if they told if they told him what the job entails, but they only did in general in uh, in a general sense. Ullman continues that the winters can be cruel and will have to uh, heat part of the hotel on doing on a daily basis. That's interesting. Like we only see them do that once. And it's it's actually yeah. not Jack doing it. <laughs> That's true too. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that raises a lot of like red flags for me. It's like you literally drove all this way, went to this interview to do this job on just like general context, and that's it. That's it. It's like that must be a high paying job. Well, I mean, we do also have to think that it's the '80s, right? It's a little different for a, a job at this time. Like you get a job in the '80s, you're set. You know, like it's just it's it's one of the, I think that's how I looked at it, where it's just like this will hold me and my family over for five months. You know, I can right. focus on my writing. It's not about to much that. that I have to do. Um, so I think I think that's why he generally took the job. I feel like he took the job because I, I think he didn't even care about the job. I think he just wanted a oh, location no. where he could just focus on his right. work. And that's it. Yeah. For him, he probably was just like, I'm just going to fucking turn the furnace on the day before they come. <laughs> like Whatever. Like and in all honesty, he probably didn't even have to stay there. He probably could have just went somewhere else and just fucked around somewhere else. Right. Like he was just like, whatever. No one's here. No one no one's coming. So <laughs> well, why the fuck do I care? Repairing damages so the elements can be uh, and can't get a foothold. Um, Jack believes this to be fine. Omen letting him know that uh it isn't too bad physically, but um psychologically the isolation can be a bit much. I love the fact though that his name is Omen. Like mm. Omen. And it's just like a bad omen to be in this place. It's giving him all the warnings right now. He it's is. Literally everything. He's giving him literally like, everything. I'm giving you the entire story plot right now. Right. I'm telling you that someone killed his family then themselves here. Like, wow. I drove three and a half hours. I'll take it. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Jack tells them tells him that um that's what it, what he's looking for. Um Five months of peace so he can focus on his new writing project. Omen is pleased as he warns him yet again that the issue with the solitude and confinement, Jack doesn't mind. It's interesting that he even mentions that he's trying to write as well. He's like, oh, this gives me time to focus on my writing project. We're like, okay, but we're not paying you to focus on your writing project here, Jack. <laughs> like, we're like... Double dipping, huh? Yeah, like, like you try to eat your, make your cake and eat it too, huh? Okay, all right. You get a pay cut. Omen asks, um, asking about his wife and son. Jack commenting that they'll love it, but he kind of hesitates here. Mm-hmm. Like he he has this hesitation where he genuinely he looks fucking insane. <laughs> like he looks crazy. I feel like it's because he he feels like it's a drag for them to be there with him. See, that's the that's the thing though. I don't know. We. Like he, so it's in hard the book, to not he doesn't like he's so stoked to be on this like kind of treating it almost like a vacation in the book right and in the movie here obviously Stanley Kubrick completely kind of went very Different much against direction. the source material it, it's honestly this movie's more inspired by the source material than rather being the source material but if if anything like you know it does feel that way, though. You're absolutely right. right. Like he feels very irritated during the tour 
when his wife like says like, wow, isn't it nice, honey? And he's like, yeah, it's great. It's great. Like, like he's just, he very much seems like he does not want to be there with them. Yeah. He's very much annoyed from yes. the very like beginning of this movie. Right. Which we'll talk about when they have their car ride. Exactly. Back. Yeah. He tells Jack one more thing um, that may give him a second thoughts about the job. Sharing the tragedy that happened there in 1970 about the predecessor hiring a uh, winter caretaker, Charles Grady. Him coming there with his wife and daughters with a great um, with a great employment record, but at some point he killed his family with an axe. Okay, I'm curious. Um, is this movie set in 1980 or 1971? Because he says 1970. For us... Technically, that's 10 years, so it has me thinking what happened to the other 10 caretakers right. after him. They were all fine. Right. Like, no one else killed their family. And this was, like, the one incident, too? Right. What happened before that? Exactly. The other caretakers were fine, too? So, I have to assume that this is a year after. But unless, he doesn't say last year. He just says 1970. Unless this only happens when so- someone that has the shine comes in. Maybe. Because I'm. it's hard to, like, look at this movie... Knowing what I've learned through Doctor Sleep, unfortunately, that's fair. Uh, because of like the whole like place being hungry and trying to like right attract uh, right yeah. And I think that's the thing that gets the activity going. I don't think there's ever any activity unless someone shines really bright. Sense. So yeah. I mean, that's lo- the only like context you said, I got. We, we do kind of learn that later. Right. Um, uh, I don't know what I was trying to say here. Um, he. Yeah, I don't know what I was trying to say, so I'm gonna. I'm actually going to kind of skip that. But pretty much he killed his family with an axe, and then he uh, killed himself. The police calling it cabin fever, explaining explaining that to Jack. Jack nods his head, commenting about the story. Omen chuckles that um, that is hard, that it, it is hard for him to believe that it happened there, hoping he appreciated telling him. Jack understands, slightly joking about joking about Omen being the one to tell them to tell him. Omen f- um, felt obligated since some people would be put off staying alone at some place that had such events. Jack tells him not to worry, knowing that his wife will be thrilled to hear about it since she's into ghost stories and, hor- and is a horror film addict. I mean, sounds like my type of gal. Get to, to Danny in the bathroom, standing over the sink, asking Tony if, if he thinks his dad is going to get the, get the job. His voice shifts that he already did, and he's coming to uh, tell his mom in a few minutes. When he is in the kitchen washing some dishes, the phone rings. She answers it. Jack on the other line at the hotel, telling her that he um, has some more to do, and he won't be home until after 10. It's interesting how... <laughs> How Tony says this, like, like, oh, your dad's coming home and he's going to tell your mom soon. In a couple and minutes, he, yeah. And he calls instead. And I was like, damn, Danny, your shining sucks right now, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're totally wrong. Like, you're slightly right and you're slightly wrong. But, like, it's it's interesting because you can see how adolescent also his shining is as well. Right. He can, like, tell the future but not as accurately as possible, I guess. Right. Absolutely. He claims that she and Danny will love it there. Danny asks Tony why uh, why he doesn't want to go to the hotel. Tony claims um, to not know. Danny doesn't believe it, pleading for him for him to tell him, uh, for it to tell him, but it doesn't. Danny putting his finger down, his eyes were getting wide, cutting to a scene of blood rushing out of the elevator, images of the twins, and Danny screaming. Great. Two That's things good. that technically aren't in the book, but great. Right. This is great. Great add ons. Great imagery. This is fucking awesome. We got these Grady twins here who are fantastic, creepy as fuck. <laughs> super creepy. 
Super uh, well centered. Yeah, love the colors of like the dresses matching like. I mean, everything else around goes them. back to the baby Pops blue, up. right? Yeah, remember I told you, baby blue for me is very haunting, and this fucking works. This works. Although they look like they're from the 50s, not the 70s. A doctor is checking in on Danny in, um, in his bed. She sits next to him asking him if he smelled something odd or saw flashing lights. He didn't. She asks if, if he remembered brushing his teeth. He does. The doctor asks what, did he, what else does he remember. Danny remembers his mom screaming for him to wake up. She asks what he remembers um, uh, what he remembers. Uh, after he was brushing his, during he was brushing his teeth, he tells her that uh, he was talking to Tony, explaining that he's a little boy that lives in his mouth. I fucking love the way that he explains Tony. Right, that's great. Like the little boy that lives in my mouth, like it's just it. It's such a haunting line. Yeah, it, it just shows like it's something that's within me, and that's the only way I can describe it. Right, it's someone that's inside me coming out of my mouth. It's right, literally just me and yeah. my shine. Yeah, and, and it's a very innocent honestly, line, but like you said, haunting. It's very I, scary. Now here's, here's the thing. Remember, with the way that The Shining works, it, it, it could work telepathically. You could see the future and all this whole other stuff. Whole bunch of shit. Yeah, I think Tony was in the Overlook. I think Tony was a victim of the Overlook, and, and he's I think connecting Tony with is, him. is connected to him through the dead. So I, I that's what I like to believe. And that's something that I theorize. Is, I can see that. Is that Tony is with him and Tony is technically not his piece of shining. Right. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. It's we, we learned like Danny has like ways to have kind of like radio frequencies and picks up like connections with people. Right. So I can totally see that theory. Right. Woody chiming in that's, uh, that is... That's his imaginary friend. The doctor, uh, the doctor wonders if she could see Tony if Danny opens his mouth, but she can't because he hides in his stomach. I love that. She asks if Tony tells him to do things. He tells her that he doesn't want to talk about about it anymore. She agrees, packing her things, asking asking for him to stay in his bed for the rest of the day. When he lets him know um, that she will be right back to uh, to check on him after she speaks with the doctor, they head into the living room. The doctor telling her that she doesn't have anything to worry about. Sure um, that. Um, that there isn't anything wrong with Danny. Wendy's smiling about the news, confirming that um, he seems fine now, but he wasn't before. The doctor chuckles that uh, these episodes aren't uncommon and they look much worse than what they actually are. Wendy wonders what was the matter, but these episodes are never explained, them being, them being brought on by an emotional factor, but they rarely occur again. Them being more akin to auto-hypnosis, a self-induced trance, offering her some test if it reoccurs. Wendy offers her a cigarette before sparking one herself, the doctor asking if they've been in Boulder long. They've only been there for three months, moving from Vermont to Jack for Jack's teaching job. And y'all moving again... Just so you can get another job. So it's funny. You've only been there three months. Jack already fucking quit yeah. teaching. He's like, fuck this. I'm good. I hate Denver. I'm out. I miss my Vermont syrup. I don't blame you. But <laughs> now it's just like that once again, in my mind, tells me that some someone is a little off the wall. If you bounce around so quickly. Right. Yeah, it's, he's very indecisive. Yeah. He can't be in one place for too much longer. Right. Because and I feel like that's, I feel like his whole life he's just annoyed by the law of stuff around him. 
including his family, he's including his situation. His he's annoyed that he's frustrated with his own work of writing. He's right. getting frustrated. But I feel like he's constantly angry at the world, and that's why he numbs himself out with alcohol, alcohol. which we'll talk about. But yeah. now that he's off the wagon, or no, I guess on the wagon, he's more annoyed by stuff because he can't really go back to his quote-unquote medicine. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, with that context as well because of how he kind of reacts or reacted back in Vermont with when he was drinking, he was on a binge or whatever, and he fucked up Danny. Um, that's super interesting because I believe that if that was contextualized correctly, that would be his real reason why it was just like, okay, I don't want to be here. I don't want this reminder yeah. either of me hurting my son or something like that. But once again, dude just looks fucking insane. It looks like he hates his son anyway. Even when he was like, I love you, you know, I would never hurt you. And you're just like, you sound fucking crazy. Like you, you sound, sound scary like scary as hell me and you will hurt me. Right. Like, it, and Danny knows. Exactly. And it's, it doesn't help that Jack Nicholson's eyebrows are like so like distinguished. Arched up. <laughs> yeah. So distinguished. It's just like, Oh my God. She, uh, she asked Wendy if Tony's first appearance, uh, coincidence with their arrival. It hasn't. Wendy shared that Danny started talking to Tony when they, uh, put him in nursery school. The doctor wonders if he adjusted well to school. Wendy smiles that he didn't like it at first, him dislocating his shoulder and having to take him out of school. Doctor wonders how that happened. She tells the doctor that it was an accident. Jack coming home drunk three hours late. Wowzers. Wowzers. This doctor is fucking wrong. She should have called CPS right there. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Since uh, he wasn't in a good mood and Danny scattered some of his work papers, she told him the whole thing. She should have called CPS. Should have called CPS. I was watching this, this moment with uh, my wife, Kathleen, and I asked her, I was just like, as a teacher, you have this government obligation yeah. That you have to call CPS if you, if you see something. Great. Is this a moment like that? You, would you do technically that don't see them, yeah. but she explains it. And um, she said, yes. Like you, if you get any inkling that is some sense of proof that a child is in danger, you have to call CPS if you're in a government official job. I think what Wendy does in this situation, how she like converses this whole accident was really smart on her part because she's protecting obviously Jack oh, and yeah. the way how she's telling the story is like right oh it's like it was just oh, a one time thing he even said like oh he would he he's ashamed by it he would right. never do it again he quit alcohol right she, she's like the solution's already done there's no solving the problem here the problem's been solved right yeah. so I think maybe with that being on, like in mind that's why she didn't say anything else afterwards yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Like, I would have if I felt like this was going to continue going on. But yeah. it sounds like you guys are good. Right. How many cigarettes do you think she had to smoke in this scene for this take? Too many times. <laughs> <laughs> Poor woman. He pulled Danny by the arm and it hurt da and it hurt Danny. Wendy continuing that Jack promised to never drink again, and he didn't, not having any alcohol in five months. Closing day. Um, and this is just fucking, come on. The fucking way this looks. Once the overlook comes in the shot. Oh, my God. The torrents are driving to the hotel. Wendy commenting about the air feeling different. Um, Danny commenting about being hungry. Jack seems irritated, commenting um, about him not eating his breakfast. Wendy assuring him that he can eat something in the hotel. She asks about the Donner party um, getting snowbound. 
I'm like, why would you ask about the daughter party in front of your child? Because he doesn't Jesus care. Jesus Christ. Dude, Jack in this scene, this was like, even like Menacing. rewatching it, he, he hates his family. He I hates feel. his fucking family. He, like, he's it, like, uh, well, continue with the lines that he says, but I was yes. like, this is like, whoa, it's like, Gamate, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm speaking some Spanish <laughs> at this point. It's like, dude, this guy is wild. And this is before he even goes full crazy. Yes. He but even his mannerism with his like face, like you said, with his eyebrows and stuff like that. He just, he it's looks, not a normal conversation. Right. He doesn't look like he's having a good time. It looks like, it looks like he's hated being here to begin with. Right. It's so fascinating. He thinks that, because in all honesty, real quick, in all honesty, his family didn't have to go with him. They could have stayed home. Yeah, Danny, that's true. I'm sure Danny yeah. has to go to school. Like, what, you just took your kid out of school? There's no way five months out of school is... That's not a thing. So, yeah. like, I just... I don't understand his reasoning of even bringing them if he doesn't like them. And that's why I think Jack Nicholson's portrayal in the beginning... Is incorrect. Right. He should be the loving husband, right. great dad, and then we see the transition right. going to like that darker character. Yeah. Mick Garris's version of The Shining that came out a few years later um, uh, definitely has a better depiction in the beginning than me. Is it executed as gracefully as Stanley Kubrick's? 100% no. It's not. Still love him. I. Yeah, it's not good, though. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks uh, that was in, in the Sierras. Danny asks, um, what was the Donner Party? Jack tells his son about the party of settlers that needed to resort to cannibalism when they got snowbound. Danny confirming that um, they had to eat each other, Jack telling him that they had to in order to survive. Wendy calls to him, Danny commenting about, um, that he knows about cannibalism, seeing it on TV, Jack mocking him. See, Wendy, he saw it on TV. <laughs> That's the line that got me. I was like, yo, relax. <laughs> it's like, see, I'm telling him this like very dark story, but you know what? Fuck him. He's already, he's seen it on TV. Right. Wendy, don't, don't worry. Well, I mean, think about the way Jack is. He's a writer, right? right? So he probably would prefer his son to read versus watching TV. And we see very clearly that she very much enjoys to watch TV with her son. Yeah. So, yeah. Inside the Overlook, and also, remember, she's into ghost stories, and she's into, she's a horror filmatic and things like that, so she probably doesn't care what he watches. Inside the Overlook, it, um, it being cleaned up and repaired as Ullman and Bill um, walk down the hall. They greet Jack sitting in the lobby. Ullman asks if his family are looking around, but Danny discovers the game room. Ullman suggests to have a quick look at his apartment, then get ready, then get started. He instructs Bill to have uh, someone bring their things uh, to Jack's apartment. Jack tells him that he needs to get his family first. Omen, Wendy, Jack, and Bill are walking to the lodge, Wendy commenting about the beauty. She asks about the indigenous designs being authentic. Omen believing it to be Navajo and Apache, she continues um, complimenting the hotel as they continue the tour. And the way the fucking camera moves here, so swiftly, so steady. These it's long beautiful. tracking shots. It's fucking beautiful. This is fucking art. It, it's one of those things where it's like I said, like this movie um, it stands on its own ground. No other movies made like this is that like the way he puts the camera doesn't even follow the characters like normally. Yeah. It's like, fuck, like 10, 15 feet away from them. Right. And still tracking them through the building. 
showing us kind of like the whole entire maze. It's the maze of the building itself. It's going through different pathways. Yeah. But we're still seeing the same outcome of like the characters going through it. Yeah. It's quite, it's 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 crazy. It's quite amazing. Um, And no pun intended. (laughs) It's quite amazing though, like on how this just works. Yeah. The way it flows, their conversation, the way how we're seeing everybody working right next to them as they're flowing through here. How you could see how lively this hotel is by everyone working inside the hotel. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like this should all be extremely distracting for an audience member, but it's oddly not distracting at all. Like yeah. I can picture people watching this and not noticing any of the people working. Yeah, it it, it kind of makes like the camera movements kind of make it like the the hotel itself is the main character. Yes, which I love. Yes, and we're beautiful watching set. beautiful. We're watching the characters go through the main character. Yes, that was beautifully said. Yeah. Omen gloats about all the folks who have stayed there. Meanwhile, Danny is in the game room playing darts. When he grabs them off the board, he looks back at two twin sisters holding hands in turquoise dresses. They smile at each other before heading out of the room. Back with the tour group in, in the staff wing of the hotel, Omen sharing that none of, none of the other rooms are heated during the winter. Two female workers say their goodbyes as they walk down the stairs. And I don't know if you noticed, but Jack gives a little glance. Yeah, while he looks walking. back at him. Yeah. yeah, they quickly look through the apartment. Jack's uh, seeming sort of sarcastic as he compliments the place. Um, Omen takes the uh, takes them past the maze, sharing the facts on it and joking that um, that he won't go inside. And I, I love that that context of Omen saying I would never go inside there. That gives Jack context, like, oh, all right, cool. I never have to. Right. Cool. Like, if you don't go in there, I don't need to go in there. Omen asks, um, when was the hotel built? It started in 1907 and finished in 1909, said to be built on an indigenous burial ground. Once a fucking again, y'all, we don't need this in horror films. Right. We just don't. And I'm happy that this is like something that isn't used as often anymore. But Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Omen claiming that he had to fight off natives while they were building it. <laughs> Barf. Um, there's a lot of things in this movie that definitely do not hold up dialogue wise. He points to to their snowcat, asking if they know how to drive a car, suggesting that it's similar to driving a car. Back inside, Ullman continuing his walkthrough toward the ballroom. Wendy is in awe, joking about having a, a good party with the room capacity of being at 300. He kills her buzz by claiming that they will have to bring their own supplies, um, removing the alcohol from the area. Jack announces that um, that they don't drink. Omen acknowledges and notices Dick Holleran walking over. He calls Dick over to introduce him, sharing that uh, he's the head chef. Jack introduces himself um, and his wife, Omen continuing that they are going to take care of the hotel during the winter. Dick smiles um, that this is great, asking how um, how do they like the hotel so far? Wendy answers in a chipper attitude that they love it, then greets her uh, greets her son coming into the room with Susie. This is so odd. Uh, like, Susie coming in with the son, with well, Danny. Susie coming in is, is fine. Like, she found him, whatever. But how she's, like, in mid-conversation, just like, oh, we love it. Hi, Danny. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. The, the camera stays with her, and then it just like, pans to Danny. So it feels out of so place. odd, but whatever. Uh, she found him, him outside looking for them. Danny joking with his son as he approaches them. And once again, the joke just feels completely off. Yeah. As well. Like it just it feels like 
one of those things of just like you better not run off again type right. of joke. Even prior to like when they said like, oh, you have to bring your own supply. He's like, oh, we don't drink. The way he says that line is like, oh, it's kind of like I got forced not to drink. Right. I'm annoyed by that. Yeah. Not being able to drink. Exactly. Winnie takes him, Ullman asking Dick to uh, take Wendy into the kitchen while he continues with Jack. They're um, walking into the kitchen, asking Wendy's preference on her name. Um, she's in awe at the size of the kitchen. Dick turning his attention to Danny, asking him about the kitchen. Danny tells him that it is the biggest kitchen he's ever seen. Wendy and Dick laugh. Um, Wendy agreeing that the place is so big that she's afraid of getting lost. Dick assures her that it is nothing to worry about um, as he starts showing them about all the food inside the walk-in freezer. He goes over to a different to all over the different types of meats in the freezer, asking Danny if he even likes lamb. Um, and I love how he picks up on his name, Doc. Without knowing. Well. Yeah, yeah, he's just like, and Doc, do you like lamb? And I love the way Dick Holleran is. And by Scatman, um uh Crowthers, is that his name? I'm blanking out on his name, mm-hmm. but I believe that's correct. That's right. Um yeah, so the way he even portrays him is just so fucking velvety he's so good yeah it's great like he's fucking awesome like he becomes like the most likable character immediately oh hands down yeah hands down like he was he was absolutely fantastic which is why which is fucking why we'll talk about it very soon we'll definitely talk about it in this episode but (laughs) once again Mm. y'all know where i'm going with this shit he tells Dick that he doesn't um he doesn't in that he likes french fries and ketchup. They laugh leaving out of the room. Wendy asking how did he know uh that they called him Doc? He doesn't understand. She reminds him that he called Danny Doc twice. Dick plays foolish. She continues telling him that um that they call him that because of Bugs Bunny. He suggests that he probably heard, heard her call Danny that, but she doesn't believe she remembers calling him that. He ends the conversation by claiming that he looks like a doc while um saying Bugs um catchphrase to him. Honestly, if I was a kid and he got in my face to say that, I would be so fucking scared. <laughs> What's up, Doc? I'm like, yo, relax. It was like fucking nothing, dude. Like, it's like they enter the storeroom. He continues going over all the types of food. They leave Danny at the door. He stares at Dick um, as he's uh, speaking with Wendy. Dick looks over at him telepathically, asking if he would like some ice cream. This just shows you how powerful Dick Holleran is. Like how he's having a conversation right. and he still is able to separate his mind to have a separate conversation with Danny. What the it's fuck? brilliant. Wow. Someone who's had the shine for a while and mastered it basically. Yeah. Should have saw that axe coming. They leave out of the room with the rest of the men um, coming into the room. Omen needs to take Wendy with them to the basement. Dick sharing that he's going to give Danny some ice cream. They leave out of the room. Dick getting him some ice, some chocolate ice cream. Uh, while walking down in the basement, Wendy comments about all the activity. Omen uh, Omen adds about the uh, last day being hectic, but um, by five, everyone is usually gone. Meanwhile, Dick asks Danny um, how he knew his name was Doc. Danny doesn't answer him. Dick asking if he if he knows uh, what he's even talking about. Danny shrugs. Uh, he tells him he tells him he was little. Uh, uh, he tells him when he was little, him and his grandma could have conversations without opening their mouths, telling him that she called it the shining and that they and that he thought it was just the two of them. He tells him that they are other folks that either don't know it or believe it, asking Danny how long um, has it been? Has he been able to do it? Danny continues in silence, Dick wondering why he doesn't want to talk about it. He tells Dick that he's not supposed to. Um, Dick asks um, who tells him that he's not he's not he mentions Tony 
He wonders who that is. Danny tells him that it's the little boy that lives in his mouth. He asks if Tony is is the one that tells him uh, the, tells him things and how he and how does he do it. Danny shares that he's he. Danny shares that it's like he goes to sleep and Tony shows him things, hmm. but when he wakes up, he can't remember everything. Dick asks if his mom and dad know about Tony. Danny tells them that they do, um, but they don't know that Tony tells him things because he uh, he told him never to tell them. Dick continues his questions, asking if Tony has ever told him about the Overlook Hotel. Danny doesn't know, Dick asking him to think really hard. Danny thinks that Tony may have shown him something, then asks if he's scared of this place. I love that. Like, he looks back at him, he's like, you're afraid of this place. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not. I wonder why he says that, too. I mean, I think he just knows. I, I, no, I feel like he should have said, like, I am, I'm afraid of this place. Oh, why, why? But he chose to, like, cover it up a little bit. I think he did it to make Danny not scared, afraid. Sure. Um, and to kind of, like, say, like, your shining's a little off right now. But, like, you know, I, I think that's the reason why he did it. Right. To, so, because he's just like, this kid's going to be here for five months. And I think, at least for his character, I don't think he's ever experienced something too gruesome, maybe. Because he even says, like, oh, it's just like pictures in the book. They're right. not going to harm you. Right. But he didn't know how powerful he was. And it would probably enhance it, I guess. Right. Because we find out, obviously, in the sequel, how he's able to do these things. Yes. Um, he tells Danny that he's not, but uh, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't, but the hotel has the ability to do so. Um, Danny, Danny asks if there's something bad there. Dick drops his head, but comments, um, when nothing, when something happens, it can leave traces behind. Only traces that people who have the ability to shine can notice. And sometimes they can see things that happened a long time ago. All the events that have happened there, some of them not so good. Danny asks about room 237, knowing that Dick is afraid of that room. He tells him that he's not afraid. Danny asks what's in there. Dick sternly mentions that um, that there isn't anything in there and he has no business going inside, raising his voice to stay out of there. One month has passed. Wendy is bringing food on a tray down the hall. Danny is riding his big wheel through the building. And this is where you get that gorgeous sound design. Yeah. It's sound mixing is so good. Beautiful. How and I his love wheels how- are on the, on the wood. They go silent when they're on the carpet. Oh. And the camera movement going through the walls with it's him. Genius. And they even like allow him to have some space in between the camera and the tricycle. Yes. Kind of let him go ahead a little bit. It's and great. And it catches back up. And it's like, wow. It's great. It's like, this looks great. It's fantastic. I like to picture um, that as Tony riding behind him. Ooh. Wendy goes to the to their apartment, bringing in the food while Jack is asleep. She greets him. He wakes up asking about the time. It is 1130. He laughs. He laughs. She comments that um, they must be staying up too late. He checks. He clicks. Oh, excuse me. He checks his tongue in the mirror as she continues bringing over the food and juice to him. Ew. Man, go brush up, Dad. It's a very weird scene. I, I, just, I just... See, and this is what makes this even more odd is because here he seems still kind of like sadistic, normal, playful. but he seems yeah. a little normal. Like he seems like, like, oh, this is a life. I could get used to this kind of thing. She uh, comments about it being uh, pretty outside, asking him to uh, take her for a walk after breakfast. He wants to try to um, to write first. And it's like, motherfucker, you had a whole month. Take me outside right now. 
<laughs> she asks if he has any ideas. He comments um, about having lots of ideas, but none that are good. Wendy sits next to him, uh, trying to cheer him up that he has um, just to, he has to just get back in the pattern of writing every day. He sarcastically agrees. He's like, yeah, that's it. She compliments um, the area, Jack agreeing and adding that uh, he, he hasn't been this happy or comfortable anywhere. She comments, uh, she comments about him. She comments about how you get used to it. Then admitting that when, then admitting that when you first got there, she thought that it was a little scary. Interesting. Now it's, it's interesting that she even commented about it being scary or afraid of the place in general because of how much she complimented it right immediately yeah so and granted maybe she was just afraid of just like it's literally only only going to be us three this whole hotel for five months i think maybe she thought the whole entire experience was gonna be great and then she realized that she's stuck with her husband and that scares her a little bit yeah I think that's 100% true. But Jack had the opposite, feeling like he's been there before, almost like he knew what was going to be around every single corner. Made to Jack throwing a ball at the wall, putting off his writing. This was also Jack Nicholson's idea to throw the ball. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. Because at first they just wanted him to just sit there and staring Mm -hmm. at his typewriter. And it was Jack Nicholson's idea to throw the ball. To be like, I think what the script was saying, like, oh, it's just him not working. Right. And yeah, he's like, that's, that's cool. all it was. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to throw a tennis ball around. Right. Because that's me not working. Yeah. There and it works go. well because it shows, like, he has a very aggressive side to him, too. Yeah. Because the way he's throwing that ball is violent yeah. in a way. Like, he's, like, trying to fucking play ski ball or some shit. Like, it's crazy. And it's kind of funny, too, or not really funny, but it, it shows, like, he's kind of, like, disrespecting the place itself, too. I agree. I agree yeah. that it, it very much feels that way. Like he's trying to like he he's so, has a vengeance with it. Right. And it's interesting though, where he's throwing the ball at he's throwing over those pictures that we see later at the end of the film. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And it just shows he has a lot pumped up like our like anger. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. It just needs he's release. just releasing it yeah. by just throwing that as hard as you can against the wall. Right. Meanwhile, Wendy and Danny are racing towards toward the maze. They run inside the maze, commenting that they that he won the race, and she takes his hand as they walk inside the rest of the maze. I love the shots here. It's so it's good gorgeous. because the camera even goes to a different direction and still meets up with them in a different area. And it's like, right. dude, yes, this is great. It's well shot, well planned. Absolutely. And I'm sure Danny fucking went in this maze so often that he probably knew it like the back of his hand. Like, I can only assume. Um, while walking, they hit a dead end and continue further. Back with Jack walking in the uh, uh, excuse me. Back with Jack walking in the lobby, looking at a model of the maze on the table. The camera descends on top of Wendy and Danny, congratulating themselves for making it in the middle. Now Tuesday, Wendy is making dinner while while listening to the news. The anchor rep- reporting of a on a missing woman named uh, Susan Robertson, who's gone missing for 10 days in the mountains. The anchor and weatherman are continuing about uh, about a storm coming toward them and finding it hard to believe because of their consistent their consistency with the weather being nice. Danny is smashing down the hall on, on his big wheel over the iconic-ass carpet. Fuck yeah, this looks fun as shit. Yeah. Like, this looks fun as fuck. Like, this kid is jamming. If you had Bro, the hotel like he, to yourself as a kid and you had that, oh my like, God. wheeler? You, you, yeah. Y'all remember Hillies? I would do that. Oh, huh. Bro, yeah. Pop some Hillies on and put me in Costco, I will fucking never leave. They still sell that. They do still sell them. You should get it as adults. I, I want kidding. to. My wife definitely does not want me to. And um, <laughs> I think I'm still going to do it. Because <laughs> I really want some damn Hillies again. Um, 
he's he stops when he comes in across the across the room two three seven um start ah, I messed that completely up. He stops when he comes across the room two three seven staring at the door, hopping off of his trike, approaching the door and trying for the handle, but the door is locked. Looking back at the number, a quick flash of the twins is enough for him to get the fuck out of there. Got the jack in the lounge typing typing away on his his typewriter. I was gonna say computer. Uh, Wendy comes into the room greeting him and asking how how is it. How it is, oh my gosh, how is it going? <laughs> he doesn't answer her right away, ripping the paper um, out from the typewriter. She enthusiastically asks if he wrote a lot. He bluntly says, yes. She changes the subject to the forecast, saying that it's going to be, is going to snow tonight. He irritatedly asks, what do you want me to do about it? Mm. Fuck, dude. And I love the whole entire thing where like she was in the kitchen, sees the newscasting, the storm is coming because it's the first transition of him being a little bit more violent. Yes. And the storm is about to come. Yes. She comments about him being grouchy, even more irritated. He comments um, that he's not and he just wants to finish his work. Wendy forces a smile, understanding that she will come back later with some sandwiches for him, hoping to read what he's written so far. Jack angrily explains that she distracts him every time she comes in there. He smacks the top of his head, ripping his papers as he continues that it will take it will take time for him to get back where he was. He understands if she uh, he asks if she understands shocked, but um, but she does Jack creating a rule for her not to come into the not to come in there while he's in there still shocked at his behavior. But she understands and he shoes her out of the room beginning to type again. This scene is heartbreaking. It really is. This guy's an asshole. So good. <laughs> in the acting standpoint, of course, absolutely. yes, absolutely. But it's Jack such Nicholson. a good scene in the acting standpoint. It's, um, our Silent Night actually pointed this out um, when we came into the room that there's a little con- uh, contingency issue here, right? Where there's a chair in the background right behind them, and once they flash back towards Jack, the chair in the background's gone. Yes, and it, it, it and there's so many theories behind that too. I'm sure. Yeah, and one I'm of the big sure. things is like ghost chair, <laughs> ghost chair, or like also like his brain is starting to like break. It's it's, it's his own like mentality. Like his reality around him is changing. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's interesting. It's a very interesting thought for sure. Um, but another thing that kind of makes this scene so heartbreaking for me is Wendy's face. What? Wendy's face. Wendy's face. Because yes. Wendy's face is just, oh my so, God. She's so nice I and genuine and cute. I'm just like, I just want to hug you. I feel so bad. You don't deserve this. You're just trying to make this man some sandwiches. Right. It's a it's a face of innocence. It, yes. it literally reminds me of like a grown adult yelling at a child. Yes. And, and it's, it's hard it's hard for me to honestly even see her in this role sometimes. Because, because of all the knowledge in the back of well, like how the film not, was made. Not necessarily that. Um but yes, that is a part of it. But the main thing is her playing pop in Popeye, yeah, the movie Popeye, uh, which also came out the same year. Uh, was Robert hmm. Williams Popeye? I, if, um, I think I remember that correctly. It was a live action movie, right? It was a live action movie, but I, I, I think I remember that correctly. But anyway, she was olive oil in Popeye. It she kind of was this damsel in distress, but was very oh, right. kind of concept. But she still kind of embraces olive oil in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, Robin Williams was Popeye. Alright, that's what I thought. Uh, Thursday, and Wendy and her huh. son are just playing in the snow that damn near looks like a blizzard. Why are you out there? Get your ass <laughs> They're just having fun running around. <laughs> Jack watches from inside the hotel with a maniacal stare, then slightly looks up at something. 
And I wonder, because the score here, it sounds, it reminds me of Hereditary. And I wonder if Hereditary's scoring is inspired by The Shining. Could be. Could be. Definitely could be. On Saturday, the weather is worse, but Jack is still typing away because he is trying to type a message to our sponsors. Meanwhile, we're back. Wendy is trying to get a signal on the uh, switchboard, but nothing is coming through. Wow. Switchboard. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Man. (laughs) I'm trying to think back. Like what my grandmother used to tell me when she used to have to use switchboards to call operators. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck. What a time to be alive now. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. I'm sure technology probably scares the shit out of her. She takes her cigarette and walks out of the office down to Ullman's office to try his radio. The Rangers respond to her call. She introduces herself as she... um as. She introduces herself and where she is located. The ranger asking how they are doing up there. I like how she's like talking to him now. Yeah. It it feels like the way she's talking to him is that she doesn't know how to necessarily talk on a radio, but she's just like, I'm copying what I hear and see in movies. (laughs) I 100% yeah, I 100% think that's the situation that she's in. And I like this conversation because it's just very wholesome. Yeah. This is the connection she always wanted from her husband. She's having small talk. Right. And it also gives us the opportunity for her to talk to someone else yeah. besides Danny and uh, Jack. Because the thing is, and if if you ever decide to become a father, um, this is how it feels. Like you just are longing for a, a, an adult conversation sometimes. Yeah. And not necessarily with your significant other, just just with someone just so you can just get a little bit of a break to not have to be on for your child. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it feels like that. Um, she continue, She comments that they are fine, asking about the phone lines being down. He tells her that they are down due to the storm. She wonders if it'll, if it'll be repaired soon, but they normally will be down until spring. Wendy co- uh, comments about the nature of the storm, the ranger expressing the same and that it is one of the worst they've had in, in years. Asking if there is anything else that um, he can do for them, but she's all good. The ranger concludes suggesting to leave the radio on for now. She does so uh, before saying her goodbyes. Um, Danny continues down the halls and on his big wheel, he stops in the middle of the hall in front of the two twins. In unison, they greet him and tell him to come play with them. He's frozen in shock, a flash of the twins brutally slain in the hallway. They continue speaking to play with him forever and ever, Danny. Um, And while the flashes of them being dead continues until Danny covers his eyes, he cautiously moves his hands from his face, calling to Tony that he's afraid. Tony telling him to remember what Dick said, repeating that it is like pictures in a book and it isn't real. Monday, the snow was falling outside as Danny and Wendy watches TV. He asks his mom if he can go uh, to his room to get his toy. She tells him no, since his dad is asleep, but he's persistent that he will be quiet going inside. She continues that his dad is, is only, went, his only went to sleep a few hours ago, but he's still persistent, claiming that he won't make a sound. Danny, no. Your dad is something wrong with him. Right. <laughs> No, you cannot get your toy right now. I'm fucking it's not a good time. To the game room. Let's play some darts. You know, no, 
Don't go on there. Anything but that. Yes. She allows it. She allows it. He runs off as he continues saying uh, to make it quick. Cut to Danny sneaking into the room, quietly shutting the door behind him. He tiptoes into the room, spotting his dad just sitting on his bed, staring outside. Like a normal person. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Danny. I And I love Danny's reaction when Jack looks at him. He just is just like. I I, I like, just I'm sorry. Wanna, I just want to get my toy. It's like I just want to get I, in, I, get I, out. I'll you leave, do your thing. I'll leave you to do whatever the fuck you're doing. <laughs> I'll just, I don't have to be in here. Uh, the way he slowly turns his head towards Danny too. Oh my god, haunting. So fucking scary. He calls. He calls his son to uh, to come over to him for a minute first. Danny does so. Jack picks him up to sit sit him on his lap, kissing him on his forehead, asking how it is going. Danny bluntly says, okay. Jack asking if he's having a good time. He claims that he is. Jack pleased about that. He asks his dad if he feels bad. <laughs> I love this. I hate this entire scene. Yes, it's fucking very uncomfortable. Yeah. Very, very uncomfortable. Because it looks like, honestly, it looks like he wants to hurt him. Yeah. Like he doesn't this doesn't give me a sense of comfort and well-being at this moment. He feels like at any given moment, he wants to just wring his neck. And it's it's scary. Agreed. This yeah. is a scary scene. He asks, he asks his dad if he feels bad. Jack comments that he he's just a little tired. Danny wonders why he doesn't go to sleep then. He tells Danny that he can't because he has too much to do. Then Danny asks if he, if he likes the hotel. Jack tells him that he loves it. Returning the question back, Danny says he guesses. Jack thinking that to be good, wanting him to like it there. And then you're just like, why? <laughs> Wishing they could stay there forever and ever and ever. Just as the twins said to Danny, Jesus Christ. He asks his dad if he will if he would ever hurt his mom or him. Jack drops his sinister smile, wondering what he means by that, believing that Wendy told him something, but Danny tells him that she didn't. Jack continues that he loves him more than anything and that he wouldn't do anything to hurt him. Fuck, what a tense scene. Yeah, it's very long too. It is. He was like, it, I would do ne- I would, like I would never do anything to hurt you. And it's just like well, fuck, dude, you look like you want to stab me. Right. How it's, do I believe this? It's one of those things, too. It's like he's trapped. He's on his lap. He has his arm around him, and he's just staring him down, like, having this weird conversation. Like, bro, if he really wanted to, you'd be out. Like, you'd yeah. be dead. You would be dead. Wednesday. Danny is playing his toy cars, and a ball rolls over to him, the same ball that his dad was throwing, and then he threw down a hole. Fucking fantastic. Hmm. But the way this scene looks, that overhead shot. Right. Oh my god! Obviously iconic as fuck. Like it's just it, this was on the documentary as well with, in Room Two Three Seven. But I also want to comment on how the ball rolls it's perfectly, perfectly aligned, symmetrical in the middle of yes. that line. Oh, and all the cuts too. It just has Danny centered in the shot, and it's so good. It's beautiful. It's very, very well done. Very well done. He looks up to see um, nobody in the hallway with him, calling out to his mom, but no answer. He decides to move further down the hallway to continue calling for his mom. Room 237's door is open with the key Mm -hmm. still in the door. He pushes the door open, asking if she is in there. Meanwhile, Wendy is checking the furnace, trying to turn on the machine, but stops when she hears a a scream. That's not even her job. It's It's not. Like, bro, you got hired to do this shit. Why am I doing your job? Like... I was triggered by this. Like the only time we actually see them play around with the furnace is her. 
That's it. I was like, yo, that's it. Come on. Like he doesn't do his job ever. He's just there writing. It's like, that's it. Yes. We'll tag team. I'll do my, <laughs> the job I want to do, but you know, the job we're getting paid for, you'll do it. You'll do it. You got this. She goes, it's easy. <laughs> she goes to check it out, hearing it again, knowing that it's Jack. She runs out to him. He's in the, he's in um, the office. Excuse me. He's um, on the office. Oh, fuck. Why, why did I write it this way? He is asleep at the table in the lounge room, screaming in his sleep. She shouts for him as she as she comes running in, into the room, shaking him awake. He falls to the ground in a panic, not knowing where he is. Wendy asks him um, in a panic if he's okay. Jack cries that he ha- had the worst nightmare of his life. Now this, this is how Jack should have been from the very in beginning. The, in the beginning, right? Jack should have been scared, a very worried, pleadful husband as. How he was technically written to be. Yeah. Not necessarily, obviously, this afraid and this panic, but wanting his wife. He wants her here right now. Like, he's just like, I, like, in this moment, right at this second, I need you. Like, I, I need you. I, like, I have the scariest year of my life and I need you right here with me. She rubs his back um, that it is okay as she as he explains that he dreamed that he killed her and Danny, chopping them up into little pieces. He cries that he's losing his mind. She convinces him that everything is going to be alright as she helps him off the ground into his chair. While trying to console him, Danny slowly walks into the room. She shouts that everything is fine, excusing that Jack has a headache and for him to play in his room. Danny continues approaching them without saying a word. She runs over to him, noticing marks on his neck and his shirt ripped. He has his... Um, he has his thumb in his mouth. She asks what happened to his neck, ripping his thumb out of out from his mouth, asking the question again, but still no answer from him. She hugs him, looking over at Jack as he continues to stare at both of them in a very robotic way. She she cries that um he did this to Danny, screaming how um how could he, while um calling him a son of a bitch. Jack shakes his head, but she runs off with Danny, and he shakes his head like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Hmm. I was asleep right here. You saw me." And this is officially where it's just like, this place is right. I can't trust her. I can't trust this kid. They need to be gone. This place is right. So the the theory I have, like the whole bedroom scene with him and his child, I think he did something to him. And he's waking up from the, the trauma that what he just did from his dream. It's like, I just dreamt about the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I think he did do something to Danny. Like molestation? Could be. And it's kind of leaded on. There's a lot of theories about it where we see a vision later in the hallway with like something. We'll talk about it where it happens. Where I think that was symbolic of him and his son doing something. That is honestly very believable. And it sucks because I hate talking about it. But yeah. As you should. No one should (laughs) ever enjoy talking about that. Um, And it's possible. Yeah, it's about, I could see. That's that. how I, I see, see this situation. Theory. It's like, oh, he's waking up from what he just did, right? Yeah. Cut to Jack walking down the hall, angrily stomping and silently cussing down the hall. He goes into the ballroom, turning on the light, and he heads for the bar, looking over the counter, whispering that he would give his soul for a glass of beer. Mm-hmm. Covering his eyes and um, wiping his face, he smi- he smiles, greeting someone named Lloyd, joking that it is a little slow while hysterically laughing. The bartender Lloyd appears with uh, rows of alcohol behind him. He asks Jack um, what, what, what will it be? Um, Jack continues his sadistic conversation of wanting a bottle of bourbon in a glass 
excuse me, in a glass with ice. He jokes with Lloyd about being busy, but he continues his smile as he grabs um, Jack his drink. And he gives him Jack. <laughs> uh, Jack grabs his wallet but doesn't have money, asking Lloyd about his credit. He tells Jack that, is, that he's good, and Jack compliments him, grabbing the drink. He, crash, he uh, crashes his sobriety eagerly to the ground, throwing the drink back. Lloyd asks uh, how things are, Jack thinking things can be better, but nothing serious. He calls his wife a sperm bank fucking wow yeah um and that he uh his his only issue as lloyd slightly comments um that he that you can't live with or without women another sip jack jack knows he never hit danny commenting that he could do anything for him but he continues speaking poorly about wendy not allowing him to forget what happened he shouts that he hurt he hurt him once trying to make up for uh for it by him just snapping Wendy is screaming down the hall for Jack. She finds him in the ball, in the ballroom crying that there is a woman in the hotel with them who tried to strangle Danny. Now, do you think this is Danny's mind trying to cover up the trauma of his father? I think so. Okay. And, I, and this is another thing. It's like he, he's trying to get back to what's helping him through his mental state where it's like, oh, I could always go back to the bar. I could always go back to the drink and that's going to like clear all my guilt and my like problems in life because that's his medicine, quote unquote. Now, do you think he was really drinking? Do you think he was just actually just there? No, I think that's his mind of what he wants to do in that situation. Fair enough. And that's where he's like, he's completely mentally breaking down right now. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I agree, and I think this is not a form of The Shining. I think this is a form of schizophrenia. Yeah, I feel like Lloyd is his, himself, yeah. which we yeah, kind of see later on. But yeah. um, he's literally just talking to himself through the situation of what he's going through. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree. He thinks, uh, he thinks she's out of her mind, but she swears it was the truth in that Danny went into, into an open room and a woman in the bathtub tried to strangle him. And the way he was, are you out of your fucking mind? So like, fucking Jesus. Weird. Jack asks what, what room it is. Cut to Dick in bed watching the news, but not focused on it. And I actually love this. Like, I love that you get a sense that Dick is, is in somewhere that is tropical and he is comfy as fuck. He got these naked ladies all over his room, like <laughs> living the um, life. It's interesting though, with the naked ladies in his room and um on, on the wall. I'm I'm curious on what the choice was behind that, on why why Dick Holleran had to have naked women sprawl yeah. over, over his room because it's literally like right behind him and also right above the TV, which is interesting. I don't I, know. I don't either. I don't I don't know the choice behind it. Um, and the only thing I can think of is that it just it goes to a very tropey aspect of how black men in cinema are just considered to be savages who only want to have sex and who only think about sex. Could be that, yeah. And obviously, I don't think that was probably the reason why it's put in the film, but it's just, that's what it feels like to me. Right, because just, this is makes, obviously... no sense. This is a huge set design right. choice. Everything is... They had to put it reason. in there for a reason. So, and it What just, that reason is, I don't know. Yeah, it makes zero sense to me. But hey, his eyes open wide as he stares at the ceiling, beginning to shake from his vision. Danny is in bed shaking uh, with shaking and shit, too, with spits dropping from his mouth as they share the same vision of room 237. I 
Okay, fuck. Just fucking shaking that Danny does. Yeah. It's just it's, it's, it's too much. It's like someone's trying to give him food that he doesn't like. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't want it. I don't want it. He looks I'm cold. Good. His hair is just way too bobby for me. <laughs> he has bangs all of a sudden. What the fuck is happening? He kind of reminds me of the of Reagan from The Exorcist. Like, okay, it, it's yeah, just, yeah. She I looks nothing that. like this. He just reminds me of that. It's just, it's just weird. Compulsing on the bed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, inside the room, Jack moves slowly toward the bathroom with the door slightly cracked to push the door open. The curtain is half drawn. A woman lying in the tub. She pulls the curtain back, showing her exposed body. Jack sporting a, a disgusting smirk. The naked woman gets out of the tub. Jack staring grossly at her as she approaches approaches him. He walks up to the woman and she caresses his chest to his neck. They begin kissing. The woman drastically ages with boils and sores on all over her body. Jack moves away from the woman, disgusted as she laughs and, and comes toward him Danny is still twitching and he's just he's just like uh, uh, like it's crazy Jack gets out of the room locking the door immediately and I love this this shit is bonkers as fuck it's great. yeah it's pretty out there and it, it looks really like well done like the way she looks like when she gets old and like weird and disgusting yes I love uh, when she rises facts. out of the tub again, too, yeah. like how, how it actually was supposed to be. It's fucking awesome. And I like how, how often it just switches back and forth. Yes. <laughs> it's like I, I, I picture it just being, honestly, quite or- orchestral. Like the way right. it just switches and moves back and forth from Danny, Jack, this old lady, Danny, Jack, this old lady, Danny, Jack, this old lady, and how he's moving back, back, back. And it's just... It fucking rules. Like this, this scene is just so bananas, and it, it honestly makes no sense. So this will go back to my theory too. I do think there's an entity in room two three seven. I think that lady's oh, completely real. I feel like the reason why she's coming out now and why Danny's kind of like awake and shaking and stuff like that. He's visualizing this because he's having the same experience as what Jack is going the through, trauma. right? Yeah. I think this is literally Jack realizing what he did again back yeah. to like my theory and stuff like that it's like this was very like sexual for him but then he realized how disgusting and ugly it was to right. afterwards and realizing and wanted to go get that drink and stuff like that yeah do I I feel like every time a entity appears it's symbolic of what happened prior so Danny's seen the two um twins obviously is like oh it's right before he was like playing around so he sees the symbolic vision of the two girls being a child and this is like after that post-traumatic stress that just happened this is a fucking gross ass theory i really hope you're not right i know um, i fucking like, hate it yeah, like I, i've never heard this theory like, before i think i just made this shit up like, oh, okay this time around yeah, it's like because i i i uh because i feel like everything fits and it's like yeah in I a mean, bad it, way it makes terrible way when you're explaining it and i really hope you're wrong <laughs> no me, me too 100%. dick tries calling the hotel but I, but it is out of service wendy is sniffling and pacing around the room jack knocks on the door she lets him in he tells her um that he didn't find anything she's concerned that it was possibly the wrong room but he assures her that the door was open and the lights were on they sat they sit on the bed wendy crying and confused about the bruises that are, are on his neck uh, knowing that somebody did that to him she uh, jack claims that he thinks danny did it to himself she doesn't believe that to be true he goes over the scenario not being too far off since he had 
had an episode before they even came there. Danny is in bed with his eyes wide open, hearing his parents talk about him through his mind. He gets flashes of, quote, red rum, and quote, written with a crown on a door. Um, well, lipstick, technically. Uh, Wendy, tell, Wendy thinks that uh, they need to get Danny out, out of get Danny out of there no matter what the explanation is. Jack seeks confirmation. But Danny is just tripping balls in the other room. He's like, oh, fucking flashes of blood pouring out of lobbies and hitting the fuck. It's crazy. It's crazy. This shit's insane. This looks great, though. I like looking. how often I get to see this in this movie. The, the it, it honestly, it the only thing I could think of as of it to make sense for myself is the fact that it's all the blood that's shed throughout the history that's um, been for this property. Like, if it's supposedly built on this indigenous burial ground and the fact that they had to fight the natives off or whatever. Right, um, yeah. Like... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, this just reminds me of, like, the Winchester house, for example. Like, this just is, like, the blood that is shed from what it took to run this hotel. Yeah. So I see it going back to the theory, which sucks. So I hope I'm wrong. Of course, this is Danny envisioning that the floodgates are open. You can't clean up this. They're arguing about your situation right now. Yeah. She's going to find out. Everyone's going to find out. You can't clean this up. Yeah. I, I really, I really hope you're wrong. <laughs> I know. I, I hope is, I hope we're both wrong and I hope it's just, Maybe Wendy's starting her her season soon. Maybe this was just all a bad <laughs> dream, and they never moved to the hotel. Who knows? Maybe Jack is pissed as he as he yells that it is difficult when she creates problems like this when he has a chance to accomplish something. She cries for his name, but he is not going to allow her to fuck this up for him. <laughs> it's like fuck it up for him, motherfucker! Yeah. I was doing fuck a you, whole bro. job. Like, what are you talking about? You over here writing a book that's never gonna be, be great? Like, you suck. Like, you like, yeah. you ain't writing misery. Yeah, <laughs> with your bitch ass. <laughs> Jack is walking through the kitchen throwing shit while continuing to stroll down the hall. He hears singing coming from an, from another area. Party balloons and garnish are strewn across across the ground. Meanwhile, Dick calls the uh, forest service, and I like. I like how, well, you know what? Correction. I'll get, I'll get there. He introduces himself, then tells him, tells them that he's, he's being, um, he's been trying to make an urgent phone call, but the lines seem to be down. He tells Dick that the lines were, uh, uh, were taken out because of the storm. Dick asks if he can give them a call on the radio. The ranger agrees and asks for Dick to check back in about 20 minutes. Jack walks into the ballroom, sounds uh, sounds like music and, and a party. He enters the room, greeted by a suited staff member, continuing down toward the bar, the room filled with a sea of partygoers. He greets Lloyd, asking for, uh, for more bourbon. Pulling out his money, Lloyd tells him that uh, it is on the house. Jack is a little confused, but accepts it as Lloyd tells him to drink up. All right. He asks um, who the person uh, buying his drinks, but Lloyd pawns this off as something um, for him to not have to worry about. A waiter spills um, avocado on him, apologizing and offering to help him clean it up in the restroom. I have no idea what avocado is, but it sounds fancy. Uh, they walk into the bathroom. The waiter is cleaning him off, and Jack asking for his name. He introduces himself as Delbert Grady, Jack questioning his name. He asks Grady if he's seen him before, staring at his face as Grady continues to clean him off. He asks uh, 
he asked him he asked Grady if he was once a caretaker for the hotel, but Grady claims that he wasn't. Jack asks if he's married. Grady uh, mentions that he does have a daughter. He has two daughters and a wife. He takes he takes the towel for Grady uh, from Grady, letting him know that he he was the caretaker and he recognizes him from his picture from the newspapers, commenting that he chopped his daughter and wife up into little pieces, then took his own life. Jesus Christ. Grady comments about this, about that being strange that he hasn't, uh, he doesn't have any recollection of that. It's like, of course you're dead. Uh, Jack claims that he, he was the caretaker. Grady sternly telling Jack that he, he was always the caretaker because he always has been there. Jack nervously laughs as he stares at Grady. This is fucking great. The whole yeah, concept whole of him always being there and how we see later in the film at the, at the end of the film, what we see at the end that just makes this so powerful. Mind-boggling. Yes. It, that too. But it makes it powerful too. Yeah. Uh, Grady tells him that his son is attempting to bring in an outside party into their situation. He shakes his head that he doesn't. Jack asks who. Grady tells him tells him who it is. And uh, I'm not going to repeat it because fuck you, movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, that was another thing. Like, goddamn, did y'all have to really say it like three or four times? Right. Uh, Jesus fucking Christ. It's not Jesus necessary. Jesus fucking Christ. Go ahead, do it once. We get it. He's an asshole. <laughs> it's, it's the characterization. It's like, we're trying to make him as... I don't know. I don't know. It's either. not necessary. It's it's, it's 100% not. not necessary. Like, it, you know his fucking name. Like, it's just, you didn't have to do this. And once again, like... A lot of Stephen King's older writings are very racist. Um, yeah, I ass- and honestly, I'm pretty sure Stanley Kubrick probably wasn't the most keen person to black folk either. Um, Doesn't seem like the type as this movie portrays. But I fucking hate this scene and the scene prior so much. The scene prior being Dick calling very antsy and things like that this scene because of the obvious dick's scene because of the fact that why why are you doing this why are you why are you so worried you met them two months ago for probably an hour why the fuck do you care like i get it you got the shining and you feel probably connected to this kid or whatever but you care that much to fly back there. Make your way all the way up there, driving. You're in Miami, my guy. Surrounded like, by naked pictures. Surrounded by naked pictures in the news. <laughs> and you're, you're going to fly life. back out there to, and then drive. And it's just like... It would have been worth it if something else happened to him. Where We'll talk about it. Well, in the book, he doesn't yeah. die. Right. So that's another thing. Like he he doesn't die. So like for for this whole whole concept, the here, whole character arc is just like a throwaway character. And it's like why? Well, and, it's like you're gonna be here. You're gonna introduce what the shine is, and you're right. gonna try to be here, and it's not gonna work out. Okay, that's well, it. I mean, that's in, your the, in the black horror community, we once again call this the sacrificial, sacrificial negro. Yeah. And this being the sacrificial negro trope is. It's actually two tropes. It's two tropes in one. The mystical Negro and the sacrificial. Right. The guy has all the answers and the guy who's just got self-sacrifice. Exactly. Like, he's the one who kind of spins this and tell, teaches Danny what he has and so on and so forth. And this particular trope is so heavy-handed in this film that 
Dick never had to show up. But the only reason why Dick showed up was once again for the white characters in this movie. Sorry to get deep with y'all for a second here. But for <laughs> these characters in this movie, he shows up so they can have a means to escape because he drops off the, the snow cat. That's true. Yeah. That is his literal only reason. That was it. So there you go, everybody. If I ruin the shine for you, you're welcome. Jack wonders how <laughs> Grady's sharing Danny's talent and how he is going to use uh, use it against him. Jack comments that his son uh, very willing will. Oh my god, his son is very willful. Grady calling him naughty. He blames it on Wendy and her interference. Grady sternly recommends that they need a need a talking to, sharing that his daughter didn't care up for the overlook either. Adding that one of them tried to burn it down, but he corrected them. Then he corrected his wife when she tried to intervene. Back with Wendy pacing around the room, plotting their escape from the hotel while she is planning to leave. Danny screams, "Red rum, red rum, red rum!" He's going crazy in there. <laughs> in Tony's voice she runs into his room asking him if he's okay as he repeats it he becomes silent for a moment then tells her that Danny isn't there he t- he um, tells Danny to wake up and that he's had a bad dream and I like I love how Danny isn't here Mrs. Torrance <laughs> <laughs> So creepy. Tony told her that he can't wake up, but she continues calling for him to wake up and shaking him. He continues that Danny has gone away. She embraces him for a hug. He's like, this feels nice. (laughs) He doesn't say that. but Love for the first time. Uh, Jack is walking down the hall over here in the radio of the Rangers calling for them. He walks into the office standing over the radio as they continue calling. Um, He takes off the hood. Pulling, pulling out the plugs from the radio. Dick calls the Forest Service again. The ranger tells him that they contacted them, but they didn't answer, claiming that they may have their either the radio turned off or they're in an area where they can't hear it and that he will try them again later on. Dick has no, uh, Dick has no choice but to accept it, and uh, he will call back later. 8 a.m., Dick is flying out to the Overlook Hotel. Okay. He turns to the stewardess asking um, what time do they arrive to Denver? She tells him 8.20. Cut to Jack in the lodge typing on the typewriter. Dick arrives to Denver. He calls his friend Larry at Durkin's garage. Dick tells Larry that he's uh, he's at the Stapleton airport. Larry wondering why he's not in Miami. Dick has to go up to the overlook asking about the weather. Larry shares that snow plows are keeping the roads open in town, but the mountain roads are blocked off. He asks Larry for a snowcat. Larry um, doesn't understand what, what his reason is, is to head up there. Neither do I, right. Larry. Good man. This yeah. is a fucking great question right here, Larry. It's like, why are you going to go up there? What is your reason? Why? You're the head chef, Dick. <laughs> what the fuck yeah, do you Yeah, why is ha- he not talking to, like, management to, like, go check up on them or why whatever? Why is management sending the head chef to check in on the caretaker? Because the caretaker fucked up. I don't understand here, Dick. Sounds like you should go back to Miami and let your manager handle it. Right. Come on. God damn. God damn. Dick lies about that the caretakers are unreliable and he, he needs to check to see if, uh, if they can get replacements. Once again, not your job. Omen and Bill's job. I know you, Dick. This ain't you. <laughs> He's in a trance. <laughs> That's enough for Larry. He asks um, how long it, it, will, it will take him to get, get there. Dick um, thinks about five hours. God damn. Right. You mean to tell this me this is some major effort? Five hours. You flew from Miami to Denver at eight a.m. Freddie, do me a favor. Check how long that flight is. Oh my god. Oh, you really checking? <laughs> All right, Miami to Denver. Yes, got you. <laughs> You're good. 
I, I'm sure the mics didn't pick it up, but I'm gonna tell everyone anyway. He dropped. He dropped some toys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dick is driving down the road, listening to the radio about the weather on how bad it is. They really like listening to the weather. <laughs> driving past an overturn um, truck. Meanwhile, Danny hmm. and Wendy are watching Looney Tunes, uh, putting out her cigarette. She gathers his attention. Don't worry about it, Freddie. Uh, she gathers his attention, one. telling him that uh, she needs to speak to his dad and that she will uh, be right back. She tries to get his acknowledgement. Tony speaking in agreement, kissing his forehead, reassuring him that she'll be back in five minutes and will be locking the door. When she gets up, she sneakily takes the bat on the um, off the chair. Uh, how long is that flight? Uh, four and a half hours. Four and a half hours. So and another five hours driving. Four and a half hours. You stop. Call your friend Larry. All right. Call Larry. Then it's going to be five hours. Now, that's four and a half hours. Now, back in the 80s, I'm sure that probably wasn't four and a half hours. I'm right. sure it's probably a little bit longer. So Delays, you know. I mean, I'm sure there yeah, is. You got a plane ticket pretty fast. I'll give him that. He's like, next morning, 8 a.m. I'm already I on mean, my flight, 20 minutes away. So it's a four-hour thing. So what time do you leave? 4 a.m.? Probably. He left that night. Like He took bro, a red eye. He did. He did. 100%. He 100%. Unless that he makes no to. sense and there's con- continu- uh, continuity errors. That's, this is what I'm saying. But uh, I'm real saying. quick, when she was having the conversation with Danny, uh, you can tell that she had like a teddy bear on her, um, on her lap and he was just staring at that the entire conversation for the most part. The teddy bear? Which kind of brings back a little bit later on what happens. So she had a teddy bear on her lap and... And uh, he was staring at the teddy bear, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Which shows a sim- symbolism of innocence. Right. Right. Yeah. And then we'll talk about what he sees later or what Jack sees later. Right. Inside the lounge, she arms. She uh, she's armed with the bat looking for Jack, but he isn't there. When he calls for him, no answer. Walking past his writing table, calling for him again, still the same result. She checks the paper in the typewriter, shocked from it reading, mm-hmm. quote, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, end quote, over and over again. His stack of papers continuing to, continuing the scrawl. She frantically inspects the stack of papers, the words continuing on each page. I love the sense of dread here. It's yeah. beautiful. Jack comes up behind her, startling her as she uh, when she asks, um, uh, how does she like it? Armed with the bat, but deathly afraid of him, he asks, um, what is she doing there? She stutters that she just wanted to speak to him. He maniacally agrees, but uh, Wendy can't remember. She continues backing up as he approaches her, Danny's eyes wide, hearing his dad wanting to discuss things about him. Flashing of flashing of the bloody lobby and door with quote-unquote Red Rob. Jack, I can't say it without saying Red Rob. <laughs> uh, Jack asking what should be done with Danny. Wendy is sobbing that she doesn't know. He claims that he doesn't think that um, that's true and that she has uh, definite ideas on what she would what should be done with Danny. And he wants to know what they are. She sobs and stutters that maybe he, um, he should be taken to a doctor. Jack mocks her. She pleads for him. He, he asks if she thinks Danny's health might be at stake and that she's concerned about him. She agrees. He wonders if she also, if she's also concerned about him. Wendy uh, claims that of course she is. He snaps yelling at her that she thought he, uh, about his responsibilities to his employers. Um, if she thought about his responsibilities to his employers, I'd be like, I'm doing your responsibility to your employers. So yeah, I kind of have motherfucker. Like I'm the one who turned on the furnace. You probably don't even know where it is. 
<laughs> Facts. He continues to uh, to approach and yell at her about his responsibility. Wendy walks up the stairs, slightly swinging at him, slightly swinging the bat at him to stay away. She cries that she wants to just go back to the room and to think things over. He reacts, shouting that uh, that being a waste of time. Continuing to approach her, Wendy swings the bat, telling her, telling him to stay away and not to hurt her. He claims that he's not going to hurt her; he's just going to bash her fucking brains in. Ugh, the delivery on this too, so great. It is great. This acting the, back even and the forth. the maniacal chuckle he has at the end yeah. of that. It's, this is why this is a masterpiece. Like, it's insane. This performance is it's top insane. notch. Screaming for him to stay away from her, he tells her to stop swinging the bat to give it to him, but she continues. She hits his hand, then hits him in the head. He stumbles back down the stairs. Fade to, fade to Wendy dragging Jack into the kitchen. I would have whooped his ass. I would have been... Fucking him up with that bat. Like, nah. Keep going. This ain't, yeah. There's something wrong with you. Like, (laughs) I'm breaking your legs or something. Something's happening to where you you can't, you can't do something because you're fucking, you're nuts. He gurgles as he regains consciousness. She frantically tries to get the pantry door open until she realizes that the latch is still on. <laughs> Removing it, it is great. Removing it, she, uh, she puts him inside, Jack regaining consciousness, asking her what she is doing. She pulls him inside, locking him inside the pantry. He bangs on the door to let him out. He arms himself with a knife. He tries to convince her that he will, not, he will forget about this if she lets him out. Stooping, um, stooping down to a fake cry about his head hurting and him needing a doctor continuing to cry outside the door she tells him that she's going to go and try to get danny down off the mountain sobbing that she will bring back a doctor he calls out to her she repeats that she's going but he calls out to her again she responds jack telling her that she's she isn't going anywhere and to check out the snowcat in the radio laughing maniacally for her to check it out as he bangs and taps on the door this is so scary. And it's just like the the camera angle of him, like the camera looking up at him yeah. while he's like banging on the doors. It's just great film work. Right. I, I feel like something that would have maybe even added to the maniacalness to this. I don't even know. That's a fucking word. But to add to this particular scene is if like slobber or something like spit right. or something was just like flying out as he was banging on this door. Because this is great. This feels crazy. Yes. Like, authentically uh, like, crazy. Of course, I'm not going to let you out now. Like, you doing all of this. No fucking way. But he went through so many phases of trying to trick her, trying to, uh, of, uh, pretty much just trying to say, let me out. And now, this whole concept of just like, you're not going fucking anywhere and I'm going to kill you. Like, yeah. what? Uh, she runs out of the uh, out of the front door, running t- uh, through the blanket of snow, checking on the snowcat the engine destroyed. She picks up a piece, not knowing what to do. 4 p.m., Jack is asleep on, on a sack of salt. <laughs> it's a lot of salt. Um, a knock on the door wakes him up. He calls to Wendy, but Grady calls out to him. Remembering who Grady is, he struggles to, to the door. Grady comments about him not being able to take care of the situation. He tells Grady th- um, that he will deal with it soon as he gets out of there. Grady doubts him, thinking that his heart isn't in this. Jack asks for another chance. Grady continuing to shoot him down about his wife getting the better of him. He mentions that Jack will have to deal with the, uh, with the um, harshest possible way, that, um, that being the only thing he can do. Jack looks forward to it, Grady asking for his word. He nods his head, giving his word. The bolt on the door unlocks. Meanwhile, Dick is driving up in the mountain in the snowcat, 
why danny uh, repeats red rum while, while approaching his sleeping mom he grabs the knife off the nightstand caressing the blade as he repeats the word over and over he walks over to the vanity picking up the, picking up her lipstick and walking to the door writing red rum on the door he uh starts screaming starts screaming the word startling his mom awake she tries to calm him down as he continues hugging him to stop spotting the written message on the door spelling murder as she look at it looks at it through the mirror Dope shit. Here's a fun little fact. When uh, Stephen King was writing Red Rum, he didn't know that it spelled murder backwards right away. He just, he had it because of a drink called Red Rum. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he just, he just liked the name. And there you go. That works out. It worked out great. A bang on the door scaring her. Jack is using an axe on on the door. They run into the bathroom, opening a window that is al- that is almost buried in snow. Jack breaks a piece of the door down, calling out to Wendy that he's home. Um, he's like, "Wendy, I'm home." She is able to get the get Danny out of the window. Jack approaching the bathroom door. Wendy is not able to fit out of the window. Jack limps closer to the door as as she continues trying to get out of the out out herself. He knocks he knocks on the door. She whispers for her son to run and hide since mm-hmm. she can't get out. Using the nursery rhyme, three little pigs to mock as he starts banging on the door. He uh, she arms herself with the knife, screaming at every single blow that Jack lays on the door. I don't know if you guys have ever seen. I'm sure you have, but I don't know if you guys have ever seen the uh, uh, moment of how he was amping himself up before this take. No. Oh, fucking shit! It's probably insane. It's it's something. It's so method. Of I was going to say, does I, like, I hope he's not method actor. Uh, I, I'm sure I don't he know. is in a way. Uh, I do know that those doors are real. Though. Yeah, they, they have, went through like hella doors, yeah, right? like hundreds. Because the fact that they were trying to give him like easier doors, but because he actually trained as a as a, a volunteer firefighter, Sick. he knew how to bust through doors with axes already. So he knew the proper way to fling them, the the way to hold them, and things like that as well for it to not have so much buoyancy when he hits the door. Yeah, that makes I was, sense. That's, that's so cool. I, I thought that was so cool. But the way he pumps himself up for this scene is incredible. Like he's like he's like going through it, filling it, and he's like getting in this rhythm. And then he just he's, he's like, like action, go. It's like I'm in well, it. They don't even say that. Like he's just in he it. just he just goes and just runs up to it and just starts going. And I'm like fuck, wow, holy shit! Pleading for him to stop, he sticks his head in 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 for that iconic line. Here's Johnny. I thought his name was Jack. Uh, <laughs> I think isn't the nickname for John Jack? Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't either. I might be making that up. I'm sure it's uh, someone will tell us where uh, that reference is from. Maybe I don't know. He tries for the handles. She slices his hand. I would have stabbed the shit out of his face. As soon as he would have put that in there, put his face in there, it would have been stab, stab, stab all over his face, all over his face. Dick makes it to the overlook. Wendy and Jack hear the snowcat pulling up. Dick stops in the fr- and right stops it right in front of the window. Danny is running down the hall, hiding in, uh, in a steel cabinet. Jack limping down the hall to meet uh, meet with Dick. You find something, Freddy? Uh, yeah, the Silent Night had the fun fact about here's Johnny. It's um, it's I guess it's referring to Johnny Carson who says oh, that line. Right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Who's an American te- I, television host? I knew that already. That that just slipped my mind. Yeah, that's one hundred percent right. Because the 
Wendy, I'm home is I love Lucy. Right. So, yeah. So he's just, uh, the iconic lines become iconic lines right. in this movie. Crazy. Um, Wendy tries to get out of the bathroom, and she, uh, but she's locked in from the other side. Dick enters the hotel. Jack limps toward the entrance. Dick calls calls to them, but Jack waits for him. He wanders down. He wanders down the uh, down into the lobby, continuing to call for them. Jack jumps out, connecting the axe to Dick's chest. So dumb. Why? Didn't even ask him any questions. What the? Stop. Like what? What is it with this? What is it with this scene? It it, it makes no sense because he literally just gets there after his entire travels to immediately die. He literally is just the sacrifice so they can have a means to escape with the snowcat. Like, goddamn. We didn't even get a scene of him getting his pockets tugged on to see if the keys were in there. Right. We didn't even have that respect. (laughs) Besides, well, not to like jump ahead, besides Jack, he's the only victim in this whole entire movie. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely is. Dick screaming in pain as Danny screams from the visions of of his dad killing him. Jack is pleased by hearing Danny scream, calling for him. Danny leaves his hiding place running down the hall. When he calls for Danny as she goes up the stairs, she notices a room that is open while a guy in a bear suit gives another guy a blowjob. So why? I don't know. Um, but I know I I already know your, your my I already know your theory. Terrible. But let's let's go ahead and just skip past that. Right. Um, they stare at her as she is wide eyed and running away. Jack checks outside the door, turning on the lights to outside. He screams for Danny as he runs from uh, from behind the snowcat into the maze. He is running blindly in the maze. Jack limping behind him, screaming for him. And I actually didn't even mean to do blindly because I think he one hundred percent knows where the fuck he's going. Yeah, I think Danny knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, using Danny's footprints as a way to make it to, to him. Uh, meanwhile, Wendy is still inside the hotel calling for Danny. She peeks around the corner, spotting Dick dead on the ground. She screams when he realizes a man with his head split, um, claiming that uh, it is a great party while raising this glass. This looks awesome, though. The dude with his head split looks fucking great. Like, <laughs> it, really it, it looks so good. And The way like the camera just moves super quickly to him to, yes. to reveal it. It's so fantastic. Great party, isn't it? And it, that that's that's not Grady, right? That guy? That wasn't him. I don't think so. Like From maybe that I... was another caretaker who lost his shit or something. <laughs> maybe that's Tony. Um Jack continues huh. screaming for his son as Danny runs uh through the maze. Wendy comes into the lounge now old and worn, um screaming from the skeletons sitting around the area. Jack is slowing down and this portion here also kind of this whole thing that's happening to Wendy doesn't make sense to me. Like it, it like and granted, sure, with your theory in mind, this is her finding out all the things that Jack possibly has done all to her. But movie wise, right. if we take the theories out of it and, and things like that and me- the metaphors out, this doesn't make sense. Because she hasn't seen anything until now. Right. This doesn't. None of this or makes I guess sense. Without like the theory and stuff like that, too. What's going on is very horrific, and it's probably amplifying the hotel itself to really come alive more. Maybe that's the only thing I could think of as well. Um, but it's just like it feels like all of a sudden she got the shining, yeah. like out of nowhere, and you're just like, oh my god, I'm seeing everything. Everything's coming in my face. But it's just, I don't know. It's 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 quite the party. Quite the party. <laughs> Danny tries to trick him um, by going back and covering his footsteps to hide. So Poor smart. Wendy comes into the lobby uh, where uh, 
comes into the lobby where blood just rushes through the elevator. Danny is hiding from Jack as he continues following his son's footprints, but they stop. He looks around, screaming Danny's name, Danny continuing to hide behind the, uh, the tall shrub. Jack goes through another section. The coast is clear for Danny to try uh, to make another run for it. Jack's um, starting to be starting to be overcame by the, from the snowy weather, he continues trekking through the maze. Wendy is now outside looking for her son. Danny uh, falls out of the entrance of the maze, screaming for her son, screaming for her son and, and uh, running over to him. They embrace each other, and I don't know if y'all noticed, but he talks here. He totally True. says, Mom, Danny. Oh, yeah. But he wasn't talking. That was like Ever, the whole yeah. thing. Like, Danny's supposed to be gone. And We'll, we'll talk about this later, but yeah, uh, but he talks here. Um, Danny, or excuse me, uh, when he puts, puts Danny inside the snow cat, starting it, uh, oh, excuse me. Jack's still trying to be stronger than the snowy elements, but he's not. Wendy puts Danny inside the snowcat, starting it up, driving driving the fuck out of there, leaving Jack to succumb to the icy weather. He screams for her, then for help, becoming more delusional and weak as he pleads. He drops to the ground. Match cut today. Jack is in the memeable as ever, sitting in frozen snow. This is great. So good. Back inside the hotel, the music playing in the ballroom, the camera moving closer to a group photo with Jack in the middle of everyone in 1921 for the 4th of July ball. This is fascinating. Now, the music here is a great touch. Yeah. Because it's the dun 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 dun, which we do hear technically later. Later. I'll, we'll, we'll discuss that later. Sounds good. But then... Credits. Credits. Goddamn. What a fucking movie. Fucking ride. And it's one of those movies like I'm happy that we did this episode because there's a lot to discuss about the whole movie Boy, itself. Yeah. There's so much ways you can interpret so this movie. <laughs> it's a lot. As we, so we can tell, it's like unpack. this could be one of our longer episodes, but Oh yeah. I already um, knew once we were covering the shining, it was no way we were gonna be able to get through this in an hour. Right. Half. <laughs> but still, like what a great movie. Do we have problems with it? Sure. Of course. Hundred percent. Um, but I do have to say, like, I can rewatch it anytime. It's one of those movies that you have to kind of be in the right mood to rewatch as well. Just for I'm me personally. There. Uh, I, it I is a long one. Yeah, I personally can't rewatch this movie that often. Right. I do feel like this movie, because I've seen it so often, it's a bit of a slog for me. Yes. It gets um, slower. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just it. like, I just. Like I'm not in the mood anymore. Like it, right. it, it, halfway in this movie, I was just like, I am not in the mood to finish this, but I gotta finish this. Yeah. Like it's just, and that's just because it's everywhere. Like it's it's fucking everywhere. Like it's it's like in, once you've seen it five times, you've seen it enough. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. But like you know, even like in Scare Me and Josh Rubin Scare Me and things like that, like the references inside there and things like that. Like this movie is just everywhere. So it, for me, I feel fatigue. I guess from it. But at the same right, time, like you really appreciate it, you get where it's at. Oh yeah, I'm just love, like, and I love this movie. It's like, I don't have to rewatch it. I've rewatched it enough times and seen it in enough places, and I see the references. That yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, like you know, I've had my full of this movie. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But damn, it is a bit of a ride. But I got this. some of the fucking movie facts for us here. Movie facts. <gasps> 
Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall have er expressed upon open resentment against the reception of this film, feeling that critics and audiences Mm. credited Stanley Kubrick solely for the film's success without considering the efforts of the actor's crew or the strength of Stephen King's underlying material. Nicholson and Duvall have said that that the film was one of the hardest of their careers. In Mm. fact, Nicholson considers Duvall's performance the most difficult role he's ever seen an actress take on. Duvall also considers her performance the hardest of her life. Damn, fair enough. To get Jack Nicholson in the right agitated mood, he was only fed cheese sandwiches for two weeks, which I heard he about that. Yep, I heard about that. <laughs> the throwing around of the tennis ball inside the Overlook Hotel was Jack Nicholson's idea. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, Stanley Kubrick originally uh, wanted Slim Pickens to play the part of Holleran, but Pickens wanted nothing to do with Kubrick. Following the experiences working uh, with him on Dr. Strangelove or how I... This is the whole name. Just I'm just gonna say Doctor Strange Love, but yeah, damn, the fact that Slim Pickens was just like I don't want to fuck. It's like no, fuck again. this guy. Like I am like, never working with you again. This could be one of the best movies in the whole world, and I'm not gonna work with him because yeah. he's the worst director in the whole world. That's that's interesting too. But Slim Pickens, I believe, I I don't rem- I I've never seen that movie, but I believe I remember Slim Pickens is, is a white guy. Like, I don't think I don't think he's black. Um, oh, look at so it. that that would have definitely changed some things for sure. Um, Jack Nicholson is actually the one who suggested Scatman Crawlers for the film. Crawlers had a tough time on this movie with Stanley Kubrick making him do over a hundred takes for one particular scene, the scene with him and Danny with ice cream. Crawlers' next film was Bronco Billy, directed by Clint Eastwood, who was famous for generally generally only going with one take. Hmm. Crawlers broke down into tears of gratitude on his first scene in the film when he realized he uh, wouldn't have to do endless take after take. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah. And that's damn near abuse. So yeah, Slim Pickens is uh, definitely white. Sweet. Yeah, That's a great name though, Slim Pickens. <laughs> that's a fucking awesome name. This guy always gets chosen yeah. through a lot of Slim Pickens. There's another photo of Slim Pickens I'm looking at. <laughs> uh, Stanley Kubrick, known for Straight his cowboy. compulsive and numerous retakes, got the difficult shot of blood pouring from the elevators in only three takes. <laughs> this would be remark- uh, unremarkable if it weren't for the fact that the shot took nine days to set up. Each time. Nine days to set it up. Jesus H. Christ. That's just... Wow. <laughs> Let's do a couple more here. Uh, the snowy maze near the conclusion of the f- of the movie consisted of 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam. Damn. Damn. Jesus Christ. Let's get, a, let's get a juicy one here. That's a little juicy one. Get a little juicy one right here. A juicy fruit. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, here we go. This is good. Stephen King was disappointed in this film. In an interview in June 1986 issues of American Film, he said, quote, It's like a great, big, beautiful Cadillac with no motor inside. You can mm. you can sit in it and you can enjoy the smell of the leather upholstery, uh, upholstery. The only thing you can't do is drive it anywhere. So I would do everything different. The real problem is that Kubrick set out to make a horror picture with no apparent understanding of the genre. Everything about it screams that from beginning to end, from plot decision to the final scene. 
end quote. In particular, King disliked the casting of Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. This was because he felt that the novel, uh, the novel, it uh, it was pivotal to the, to that Jack is initially a good man who was slowly overcome by the forces of evil, and he and who is fighting a losing battle against alcoholism. King was uh, King was of the open. Excuse me. King was of the opinion that due to the casting of Nicholson, who was well known for playing unstable characters, Jack in the film is very much on the edge with, uh, when the story begins. And the character does not possess the inner goodness so so vital that Jack um, Jack has in the early stages. Apparently, he was very keen of John Voight. He, uh, he was also hugely disappointed that the themes of evil evils of alcoholism and the disin, the disin integration of the family unit were relatively unimportant in the film due to his own battle with alcoholism and because of personal investment in the aspect of the novel he was largely disheartened by the film so interesting um oh one little one little extra tidbit here room 217 was switched with room 237 for the shining at the request of the timberline lodge in the book of the spooky events in room two, uh, 217, not room 237, Oregon's timber, uh, Timberline Lodge, was used in uh, used as the hotel's exterior for some shots. It is to blame for this swap. The lodge's uh, management asked for the room to be changed um, to, so the guests wouldn't avoid room 217. There is no room 237 in this hotel, so the number was, uh, the number was chosen. Uh, the website of the Timberline Lodge notes... Quote, curiously and somewhat ironically, room 217 is requested more often than any other room in the Timberland. End quote. Man, super interesting. I love that, yeah. But let's definitely keep this conversation going over on Twitter. Hit us up over at nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a K. And definitely want to keep this conversation going because this month is almost done. Because next week, we got a two-parter for y'all. Ooh-hoo! By us covering... The film that we said earlier in the in the episode, Doctor Sleep. So fucking excited. So fucking excited. This is also another one that's been very highly requested on our list as well. God bless and Mike I'm Flanagan. Very happy for us to get this on our list. And yes, you're right. God bless Mike Flanagan. One hundred percent. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. Also known as Night- Nighty Night. Our efforts to get the shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over on Patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's not what they will. Okay. Bye. Pleasure on Patreon. You have access to the show ad free and as early as Monday with the post show. If you don't have any bucks to toss don't worry the episode is released every friday on most podcast services around the world and remember everybody don't forget your nightlight murder in america is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states including stories of mass shootings serial killers and lesser known murders Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.